0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway honey today.
2: Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, and this is a half-an-hour journey through culinary history. And today, we have with us Jana Gore. Jana ha- is um, the founder and editor-in-chief of the leading Israeli food and wine magazine, On the Table. And she's the author of a book called the new the book of new israeli food a culinary journey so we're having two journeys here a journey through culinary history and a culinary journey through israeli food she lives in uh, actually Jana was born and raised in the former soviet union before immigrating to israel and she now lives in tel aviv on israel's mediterranean coast of course and we're very welcome to have her here welcome jana thank you thank you it's great to be here we here in new york we are having a uh, Oh, downpour, um, but we're sitting in our nice dry studio, and we're going to pretend that we're on the sunny Mediterranean coast, okay? And what I have to say about this book is that I was talking to Jana before we went on the air, and I had not eaten before I looked at it the first time. I don't recommend you do that. (laughs) I I recommend that anyone who looks at this book, again, the book of New Israeli Food— it is so gorgeous to look at the photographs in it. Uh, and who the photographer again was? The photographer is Elon Paz. And he's actually based in New York. Based in Brooklyn, here in New York yeah. in Brooklyn, right? It is just a gorgeous book to look at the pictures. It's a, it's really um, not only does it belong on your uh, shelf of cookbooks, but it belongs mm. on your coffee table. I mean, it is a coffee table. I book know as that well as a cookbook. for
3: American public, it's even a little bit confusing. They say, "Well, this book doesn't know whether it's cookbook or coffee table book." I think it's
2: good that the book has lots of gorgeous pictures. Mm-hmm. But what I and what I was going to add is, it is as as wonderful and delicious to cook from as it is to look at for the gorgeous pictures. So it really does serve a dual purpose. It's very good in that way. And um, so I'm thinking, well, okay, we have the book of new Israeli food, but we can't really understand new Israeli food unless we know about old Israeli food and the past in history, since this is a show about culinary history. (laughs) So what, what I would like you to do is sort of take us first on a little journey through... Um, through the past, where where Israeli food? I mean, first of all, when people think of Israeli food, they think, of course, immediately of just Jewish food, which it is. Uh, but it it's is so also much Jewish, food, but it's, it's so, so much, much more. more. Yeah. It is Jewish food.
3: It is Jewish food in in a way that it is part of Jewish food history, and Jews have. Fascinating history, and they have fascinating food history. It's, it's I'll need a week to explain all that. I'll try to. <laughs> There's do so it. many different <laughs> okay, foods. Okay. Yes, <laughs> and um, basically, you know, Israel Jewish history. Like in two minutes, we're living in the land of Israel. You know, many thousand years ago, very basic agricultural society. And uh, we were more or less exiled from Israel um, about, depending when, certain groups of um, Jews left Israel or Israelites left Israel, the land of Israel, even earlier in the, in the you know, the, in the time of Babel, um, in the destruction of the first temple 2,500 years ago. But most of the Jews left the land of Israel about 2,000 years ago, and they went on and settled all over the world, basically. And this is where Jewish food history starts, because wherever Jews settled, they created their own food system. They had to because, as you know, according to Jewish religion, Jewish religion is very heavily based on, defined actually, Jews are defined by what they eat or do not eat, and how they eat it, and how they combine the foods. And it's not just that uh, they wouldn't eat meat With dairy, Mm -hmm. but the meat has to be slaughtered in a certain way. And so, um, and interestingly, In the Bible, the kashrut laws are outlined in the the Bible. But as you progress throughout the diaspora, they become more and more strict and elaborate. The utensils has to be kosher. The whole kitchen has to be kosher. And there is a theory, and I believe it's true, that the reason the kosher laws became progressively more and more strict was because it was such an effective tool to keep Jews together and separate from their Ah, neighbors. Interesting. Okay, and so... In order to survive, you had to stick with other Jews, you had to eat with other Jews. And so, and imagine you live in, in a country and there is a cuisine around you, you know about it, but you cannot touch the food. It's like looking in the, you know, through the window shop, mm-hmm. and I know examples of that till that very day. From, for example, observant Jews, observant Jews, Jewish chefs who cannot touch non-Kosher food, and sometimes are not exactly aware of the trends that go on, and they operate in a certain kind of vacuum. And so that's why wherever Jews lived, they created cuisines that were simultaneously similar and different Mm -hmm. from their of their neighbors sometimes completely different for example Iraqi Jewish cuisine is completely different from Iraqi non-Jewish or Iraqi Muslim cuisine and much more similar to Persian cuisine in other cases for example Moroccan cuisine is is quite similar to that of the non-Jewish Moroccan Ashkenazi cuisine which is um, generally recognized as Jewish cuisine mm -hmm. but it is of course only one kind of Jewish cuisine is actually I mean most of Ashkenazi Jewish today or during the last century come from Poland and Russia but the dishes go all the way back to France, to Germany Mm
2: -hmm. things like gefilte fish or chopped liver are not eaten by Poles or Russians, only by Jews. It's interesting. I just had Joan Nathan on recently, and and she talked about um, going and searching and researching the Jewish food in France and how many of those recipes that you just said went back so
3: long ago. Because Jews move around all Mm -hmm. the time, you Mm -hmm. know, and they take with them. It's always some kind of food in transition or cuisine in transition, being, you know, bearing... Um, heritage from the past, being influenced by whatever is around it. And in this respect, Israeli food is exactly that, because Israeli food today is a combination of local food, which in this case would be Arabic, Palestinian, you know, local terroir, local ingredients, Mm -hmm. and immigrant cuisine. Only instead of one, we have, I don't know, 30 or 40... It's which is for a food historian, by the way, or a food lover. It's paradise. Um, I can imagine.
2: For example, well, the first, well, and and in you know, talking about new Israeli cuisine. I mean, Israel as its country as it is today is a very new country. So to say, it's that, a very that it's new cuisine. I mean, it's all new. Well, but, the, I mean, well, and, the I reason know,
3: uh, that it. I decided to call it new is because I want wanted to focus on what happened over, let's say, last twenty years. During which we really experienced a food revolution.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and to explain first that the first wave of immigrants were primarily Poland, Eastern Europeans, right? Eastern Polish Europeans, and, and yes. Russian.
3: Largely, and, there mm-hmm. were other groups, but larger there were Poles and Russians. And frankly, they are not really interested in food, and they were definitely not interested in diaspora food. Furthermore, they wanted nothing to do with the diaspora. They wanted to create, you know, the ethos of a new Israeli. But this new Israeli would be a farmer. He would work the land, and so there was some connection, you know, to, to local produce, to to, uh, to attempt to emulate ancient, you know, Hebrew. Culture mm-hmm. going all the way to the uh, to the Bible, and that's why they looked upon their Arab neighbors for inspiration. Because in many ways, Arabs uh, symbolized for them, embodied for them, you
2: know, the Asian Hebrews, because they stayed in the land for all this uh, time. So when all right, so they so now we have this this new land back to Israel, yeah. back to you know, and founding of a new homeland. You talk about the melting pot. You talk about all these all these cuisines coming together. How how, how how do they mesh?
3: Well, they mesh uh, in the most um, but first I should mention this was the beginning you know, these first waves of immigration. The big and mixed waves arrived later in the 40s and the 50s and then we had Jews coming really from the Middle East from the Balkans from all over the world and we had this few dozens of cuisine and there were Mixing simply because you know the population was mixing, mm-hmm. most of israelis are are you know what we call mixed origin, you know and um and it becomes more and more so most israel even if your father is Hungarian and your mother is Czech, there is still two different cuisines right. or and of course, if your mother is Moroccan and your father is polish, and this is what happens all the time, but you can say um that Largely the Sephardic cuisine, you know, the yeah. Middle Eastern cuisine, the Balkan cuisine are much more more dominant. Sure because well,
2: look where you're living. I mean, you know,
3: exactly. Just, and Ashkenazi cuisine, what is again recognized worldwide as Jewish cuisine, is much less pervasive. It's mm-hmm. really
2: so when you know when people think of of Israeli cuisine, the first thing they think of, those of us who aren't familiar with mm-hmm. it of course hummus hummus, hummus, and and falafel. Hark, 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 hark. hummus and falafel
3: both Arabic foods both very popular hummus is you know local I always say hummus is local religion it's like cult food and uh, it's, like our, it's like New York and hot dogs on the street you know? something like. like that or so pizza I don't right. know but you must understand hummus in Israel it's it's so it's like soccer in you know in England there are fan clubs and there are websites <laughs> and people would argue very heated <laughs> exactly who has the best and I I I know by now, I actually don't think I know that nowhere in the Middle East hummus enjoys such, you know, such a status. I've just recently met with the owner of this wonderful restaurant, Ilili, Mm -hmm. Lebanese restaurant. And I asked him about the, you know, what hummus means in Lebanese cuisine. He said, well, it's a very good way to know if a cook knows his job, because like hummus and tabbouleh, are the two dishes that you can learn about the, you know, the Ability of the chef. If they can't do that right, they can't exactly do like right. tomato sauce in Italian <laughs> yes. cooking. But it's a part of mezze table. Nothing more. Nobody goes out to have hummus. Nobody, nobody makes big deal of it. Mm-hmm. Israelis, it's like they swear by that. It's amazing. And falafel is another symbol that is sort of, it's it's there. But there are many, many more other, you know, more interesting dishes. Most of them Jewish, by the way, coming from. As I said, from immigrants. From
2: from the immigrants, right? Exactly. Well, so we're going to talk about the new, some of the new dishes and the new influences after we take a short break. So stay with us.
1: Service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to the main course Sundays at 12 p.m. with hosts Patrick Martins and Katie Kiefer. They examine issues from the interconnected worlds of agriculture, cuisine, and sustainability. They sit down with key players in the chain from producer to consumer, farmers, distributors, chefs, activists, and journalists. The main course explores every important component of the eating experience how the farmers raise their product, the distribution channels that move the product how the chefs prepare it, and how ethics and policy affect everyone involved. Again, that's the main course, Sundays at noon, on the Heritage Radio Network.
2: Okay, we're back with John Moore, the author of Book of New Israeli Food, A Culinary Journey. And we were talking about, of course, Israeli food, not being all that old anyway, but it is because it is a conglomeration of all of these different cultures coming together in one place and forming a cuisine if you mm-hmm. will um, old dishes with a new with a new bent you know with a, new, exactly. a new a new twist to them um, in your opinion what are the important elements of israeli cuisine well besides
3: the you know this combination of local terroir and immigrant Influences or Jewish ethnic influences, I would say the most important thing uh in Israeli cuisine are vegetables. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think this is what we do best. It's you know we have very good agriculture, we have abundance of fresh vegetables throughout the years, and I think that's what Israeli chefs excel at. Vegetables. Basically, I know this, this is um, an expression I borrowed from an article I read in an Indian newspaper about Israeli food. And they said, well, we Indians think that we know about vegetables. Now think again. Huh. Israelis really know how to do it because we cook them to death. They eat it fresh. And they, she said that one word that describes best Israeli cuisine is fresh. And I would add, in all its meaning. Mm -hmm. Fresh as an impudent, fresh as uh, other journalists describe it, provocatively stylish. And this is true about um, we like bold flavors, we like fresh herbs, we like um, fresh vegetables, um, not so much sweet and sour, but more sweet and a little bit spicy and salty, olive oil, lemon juice, garlic, Fresh Mediterranean, simple, generous helpings. You know, we are impatient people, people <laughs> like sharing. You know, I think one of the most Israeli things is not necessarily a specific dish, which can, can, there are few that I can mention, but the way we eat. I mean, sharing. Plates and having lots of food and cooking all the time. I think one of the things that makes Israeli food scene so special is that we do actually cook, cook it. Yeah, and um, you know the country is so small, so even when your kids leave home, luckily they stay, you know, within one hour drive, Mm -hmm. and they come back. For For Friday night dinner, which is a mandatory institution, regardless of the fact whether you are a Jew or not, you're there for Friday night, and it has to be cooked from scratch. And on Friday night table, because as I said, you know, there are mixed origins, so you would see couscous for a main course and chicken soup you know, as a soup, and then some cake which is probably from Eastern Europe because most of our cakes are sort of of Austrian-German origin because most of the first bakers came from Germany and right. Austria. And so, this is this very family-style, um, informal, casual, but yet, and this is the product of last, let's say, 15 to 20 years, the restaurant cooking improved tremendously. Yes, yeah, And that happened when chefs... Went when first of all, food became fine, dining became legitimate, and and you know, because before that, we're too busy surviving and building right. our country and travel. I mean, travel was so much more exactly. Accessible. People mm-hmm. started to travel, uh, sh- becoming a chef or, or you know, choosing uh, cooking as a career became legitimate. Chefs or young people would go uh, abroad to study and they would come back and they would try to apply what they learned. On you know to local well, ingredients. Well, that, that's international. I mean, that's that. That happens everywhere. A, a boom in that. Exactly, and in Israel it just just happened very, very quickly and very, very dramatically. And that's what's so interesting about it. And this is
2: what I try to convey. And in certainly, my book. we're seeing a lot of trendy, trendy new restaurants and 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 dishes. And but I had to laugh because the very first line in your book, you. Right. <laughs> they say nobody comes to Israel for the food. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, with this book, you're definitely trying to change The thing
3: things. is that probably if I have, uh, the book was written three years ago and came out in the States two years ago. But uh, today, I probably wouldn't have said that because people are going to Israel for the food. Mm-hmm. The reason I said that is because Israel has so many more famous things, you know, like history and religion and
2: everything. Right, and people go. But
3: people do reason. go to Israel for the food. There are culinary tours. Some of them I'm involved with others I just know about. People are going to Israel for the food, which is for me, pretty incredible, but when they even if they don't go to Israel for the food and and they love food, they they
2: come to Israel and they're having a feast. Mm. Well, I I just loved reading through a lot of the recipes, and as you said, the freshness of yeah. the vegetables, the pictures. I mean, they really do show that that freshness of um, there's like you know moistures bursting out of yeah, the tomatoes. I was, but I but I got a sense I was reading some of the recipes and, and knowing Italian cuisine very well. Mm-hmm. Thinking, Wait a minute. This sounds very familiar. Well, it's all the Mediterranean. There are very similar dishes. There are very um, similar, you know, like the the bread, to, the tomato bread soup, which is like a panzanella a salad. It's it's, salad, yeah. which is fattoush, by the way. It's, Fattou- it's salad. fattoush, yeah. and, and it's panzanella in it's Italian. It's very similar. You just similar. change a few of the herbs, and exactly. you have the same thing. And and just so many of the dishes, just using all the fresh ingredients from the land. And that's, that's yeah, very and important.
3: It, what's nice about it that we're progressively getting more and more Mediterranean. I'll give you one example, olive oil. Israel, you know, the symbol of the state of Israel is olive branch. Olive oil and olives are all over the Bible, and it's like the symbol of our culture. And yet, 25 years ago, we hardly used any olive oil in our cooking. Arab Israelis did, of course. Mm -hmm. Moroccan Jews, a little bit because they knew it from their old country, but most of the Israelis didn't know the first thing about the olive oil. Maybe sprinkle a little bit of olive oil on their At salad. The end, right? At the end. And it took Mediterranean diet <laughs> for <laughs> us to pay attention to the fact that we have all this, you know, amazing olives growing all over the country. And now we consume so much olive oil that we have to import it. Excuse me. Export. Import it. Import it. Because right. we don't have enough. Yeah. Right. Which is quite amazing. And that's true for many ingredients. Where are we are even our music is you know becoming more and more in the Mediterranean. It's part of becoming part of you know actually where we live. The
2: whole cultural exactly uh, zeitgeist, if you will. You now talk about some of the, the trendier dishes and the, and, the, and not trend, I mean, they're old dishes, but they're brought, they're sort of brought to life yeah. again. I can give you an example of okay. the eggplant. I think it's a very, uh, a there, very, there. yes. Oh, I love, there was one picture that where it's just roasted and split over. Exactly.
3: Open. That's Taco. a really good example because mm. basically, eggplant, again, we didn't invent eggplant. It's like the mm-hmm. soul of the Mediterranean. By the way, one of the um, names I told toyed with when I thought about the name for the book was His Majesty the eggplant because he's like, you know, the king of vegetables <laughs> for us. And it can be prepared and of course it can be grilled, it can be fried. We prefer it, of course, grilled over open fire. And then you can do something very classic with that. You can prepare baba ganoush. And mm-hmm. of course again, we didn't invent baba ganoush. It's a classic uh, Lebanese, Turkish part of the meze table. But um, what Israeli chefs do, by the way, I think the first to do it is Eris Komorowski who is coming shortly to to New York, ah. this wonderful chef, he did what I called Baba Ganoush deconstructed. He took the whole grilled eggplant, split it open, and poured tahini and olive oil and lemon juice and sprinkled sprinkles herbs. Run, and um. it, today, it's almost a cliche in Israeli, you know, in trendy mm-hmm. Israeli restaurants. But when it first started, we were so, you know, excited about it, about it. How can you take something so traditional and reinterpret it? One of the recent projects of is, which we featured in our magazine, he took kugel, you know, the Mm -hmm. good old Jewish kugel, but he made it with lamb and with saffron and with um, courgette flowers. So the idea of um, noodle pies... You know, sitting all night in the in the oven is the same, but what you put in this noodle pie, what kind of noodles and what kind of condiments, what kind of ingredients is completely new. changes you. the whole And line, we are yeah. so lucky because we have so much to play with. Uh I mean, we can can take Iraqi recipe, Persian recipe, Yemenite recipe. And frankly, I think one of the things that disappoints me, that to my taste, Israeli chefs do not take enough of these goodies that surround us. Mm. Yesterday, I had a discussion with owners of lovely... Israeli restaurant in New York, Taboon, and uh, the owner is from Persia. I mean, she's a Persian Jew, and one of the most amazing Jewish Persian dishes is called Gondi or Gondi. It's a, it's a soup, it's a broth with uh, something that looks like uh, knedlach on steroids. Mm-hmm. It's like it's big, yes, huge but once the you, center, exactly. Right. <laughs> but once you taste it, you discover it's something completely different. It has it's made from chicken. Beef flour mm-hmm. and chicken meat and it's spiced with cardamom and it's completely exotic and wonderful and I ask you why don't you make it you know for why don't you put it on the menu? It's such an amazing dish. I'm sure everybody will love it.
2: But that's in New York. But you don't see much gondi in in Tel Aviv as well. Mm. You do I, say there is a Persian restaurant that I founded in New York where it's on the menu. Actually. I'm not so sure gondi is on the menu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. I, and I agree with you. I mean, it's just it's it's one of those homey meals that you. It's just surprising. And,
3: and you don't it. expect this, this sort of I don't know festive
2: flavor. Right. It's just
3: so wonderful.
2: Right. Um, how much? does kibbutz life Play in in the food or the, or the evolution of the food Kibbutz Israel. was very important in the early history of Israel for food I mean
3: Kibbutz is credited with the invention of the Israeli breakfast mm. which is we're very proud of it and what makes Israeli breakfast Israeli is the fact that we have salad for breakfast this is like a very unique thing that probably nobody else does except Israelis having salad for breakfast that's how a spot tourist by the way in, 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 in Israel they're, They're pushing (laughs) away the salad, Uh, but uh, it started on the kibbutz because on the kibbutz uh, there were, um, you know, the farmers would go to the fields very early, and when they come back and to have their breakfast, quite hungry by then. Uh, they would make their own meal with whatever was available in the kitchen, and usually there were fresh vegetables. The salad itself is again it 's arabic it 's middle Eastern chopped salad of cucumbers and tomatoes and onions it 's uh, dressed with olive oil and lemon juice. but the use of this salad as a part of breakfast table is mm-hmm. very uniquely israeli and so kibbutz i i wouldn 't say beyond the the breakfast thing that kibbutz was very influential because on the kibbutz, it was, as I said before, I mean, fine dining was something almost frivolous. Mm, mm-hmm. On the kibbutz, I mean, you you produced, you grew oranges it's farm and you, f- farm food. It's farm, farm food, yeah. but you never never made a big deal of it. But you know, there is one interesting story about the kibbutz and gastronomy, cake baking, cake baking very big in Israel. <laughs> uh, and on a kibbutz, there were no private kitchens. You know, there was this communal dining mm-hmm. hall, and yet there were women wanted to express their culinary creativity and they would make the cake in in their homes and take it to the communal kitchen to be baked and they, because you know you always bake for, for weekends, you bake for, mm-hmm. for Friday night so you have something to serve for dessert or to Give your guests because in Israel, when you invite people over, it's for a cake and coffee. That's the standard thing, and so much so that there were even cookbooks published based on these recipes from kibbutzim during the time that there were no kitchens, but they still
2: baked cakes. Hmm. That's interesting. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah very interesting. Um, you have you do include in the book. Um, a section on wine. In fact, you say wine fever in the Holy Land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's because because kosher wine. Of course, we you know for so many years now. Yeah. Of course, we can find wonderful kosher First wines. First of all, it's a very
3: important thing to know that kosher wine is. Exactly the same as non kosher wine, it has to be according to Jewish religious laws it had to be made by observant jews that 's right. all right. I mean the same wine it doesn't it's not better it 's not worse it could be anything it could be anything from great to substandard and in fact, if again you know this sentence that I repeat all over again in the book twenty years ago twenty five years ago we didn't have that great coffee we didn 't have great bread we didn't have great wine great wine we had yeah. israeli wine was we called it hammer wine because gives you headache. <laughs> Yen patishim in Hebrew. And then about 25 years ago, with the advent of Jordan Winery on the Golan Heights, it all changed. They were the first change, they, you know, the, the scene of local wines. They modeled the winery after California wineries. And today, I think, uh, Israeli wine scene is quite amazing. We have over 200 boutique wineries, about 20 or 30 large wineries. Um, in terms of quantity and the volume, it's still very, very small mm-hmm. production. But there is variety. There, are, there is an, an ongoing attempt to locate or to define terroirs. And we now realize that ones that come, from, for example, from Jerusalem mountains or Judean hills, what we call, is quite different from the ones that come from the Galilee. It's more elegant. It's so less you fruity, are, yeah. so you are and we this. even are growing wine in the desert, which is really cool thing. Huh.
2: Well, it's it's interesting because I know that um, so many of the um, the markets the markets are, are are the the major gathering places. I mean, yeah. market food and. There are now restaurants that are springing up in these markets, too, that are some of the better better yeah. known and better restaurants. And <laughs> you know, it's interesting with
3: markets. Markets is open. I mean, food markets are something very romantic. We all want, to, you know, to, to shop at the markets, and we usually do that in supermarkets because there is, you know, parking lots and air conditioning, and they accept credit cards. <laughs> and so there was... For a while, even certain deterioration in local food markets. And now we have like a new burst of life coming with these restaurants and little bistros and bars opening in the middle. As you said, in the middle of the market, at least one in Tel Aviv, the leading market in Tel Aviv called the Karmel Market and in Jerusalem called the Market. And they like have a different... um, Clientele now. So people still shop there for vegetables, but they would come also and have a cup of coffee and have a nice meal based on the produce and the market. So they're becoming a little bit like tourist place but in a good in a good way, I would say, <laughs> for local tourists. Yeah. And we also have, by the way, and this is very, very new, we have farmers markets. Oh interesting. Yeah, yeah it started like because well, it's not that necessary to have farmers market in Israel because but it is different because at the general market you're buying from a wholesaler but there everything you buy- but
2: everything is local anyway so yes
3: but still if you buy from to quote Michael Pollan to look in with the eyes of someone who grew your food yes. and to talk with him or her about it. And we even have a very miniature version of something that looks like Chelsea Market now in mm. the Tel Aviv port with wonderful producers and cheesemakers and artisanal bread makers. So it just really
2: makes you think more about what you're eating, as you say, like Michael precisely. Pollan says. I mean just yes. you, you take your food more yeah, not that we should take it too seriously as food, but I mean you but what you put in your body should be is should be very important to you. Yeah. And, and you know in this Respect, we're in a good place
3: in Israel because, as I said before, we are a cooking nation. People, people love to cook. People are very proud of their, uh, you know, culinary heritage. And um, even though we have a lot of, you know, fast food coming in, and yet, if you ask, I think most of Israelis what they would rather have, a good portion of shawarma, which is. Good food, basically, yeah, sure. that,
2: or McDonald's. So that don't, will, throw, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, they say. <laughs> yeah, so, Keep some of those old w- things. Yes, it's
3: made on the, you know, it's it's freshly made. It's right. nice. It's flavorful. They would say, yeah, shawarma or maybe burekas or falafel rather than McDonald's or yeah. any kind of, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. commercial fast food.
2: So what would you really say is, if you could sum up, what is new? What is really new? New is, first new. of all, legitimacy of, you know,
3: Engaging in, in fine dining Creativity of the chefs The fusion that is becoming more and more intense um, eh, This And, and uh, it's baby cuisine I mean, it's, it's too early That's why I would never mm-hmm. called it the Book of New Israeli Cuisine Because it's not a cuisine yet It's, it's too early The freshness The healthiness The, the variety the fact that we can have even you know street food. Forget about restaurants. You can mm-hmm. have like ten or twelve or fifteen different kinds of street foods. All of them local, burekas and shawarma and something called sabich, which is actually based on an, an Iraqi Shabbat morning sandwich, and etc. etc. And also pizza and great cakes. So there is a lot going on, and it's and also the fact that. As I said, we we had this revolution over the last 20 years, so the ingredients became much better. We have wonderful bread and cheese and wine and all the basic stuff that you need to um, to have. Even though chefs complain that we don't have enough great seafood, and uh, you know, and it's true, there are still things that are difficult to find, but all in all, it's great good. and dynamic
2: and unique. And coffee, coffee is amazing. Mm. Israeli coffee is amazing. I mean, really. you, can, you can almost smell it yes. through the pages. You said somewhere in the book, you said that in fewer than 30 years, Israeli society has graduated to a true gastronomic haven. Mm-hmm. And certainly hearing you and your enthusiasm and your passion for this food and and then reading the book and, and looking through the wonderful recipes, and again, I say in the wonderful photographs, you're doing it justice, for sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're very fortunate. Fortunate today to also have with us Nama Shefi. and Nama is um, she is the project manager from the Department of Public Affairs of the Consulate General of Israel. and Nama welcome. You, thank you, Linda, it's great to be here. You are a real uh, um, to say, champion of this new Israeli cuisine, too, because you were the first one to talk to me about it and, and, and uh, encourage me to, to meet Jana, and I thank you so much for that. Yeah, you okay. have planned um, a very nice it's been like a whole week of activities and two months: actually. Two months, yeah, two months of activities. Can you tell us a little bit about the activities are here in New York um, to introduce people to, to new Israeli cuisine?
4: Sure, absolutely. So we are very proud to have Jana Gore with us, and we had uh, two events with her already. Um, last Monday, we have uh, Jana speaking at the New York Public Library, and it was really an amazing event. And we had Jana talking with John Nathan. At the James Beard Foundation pop-up project at the Chelsea oh, the pop-up Market. pop-up restaurant, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. and that was also quite unique and um, interesting. And coming up, we have uh, Chef Erez Komorowski, which Jana mentioned before. And we will have Ares Cook at the James Beard Foundation in, in June 4th. and that June be, 4th.
2: Okay. okay. Right. If there's still spaces available, check that out. The James Beard Absolutely. Foundation, June 4th. It's going to be delicious. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sure. And then uh, you are going to be giving... Um, uh, presentation at the Ninety Second Street Y, right, uh, coming up soon, right, right? with uh,
4: Francinsi again, and I will give an uh, update of the current culinary scene. More, you know, specifically talking about different restaurants in Israel and Jerusalem in small secret places,
2: coffee shops, stuff like that. Well, it's all very exciting, and I know who I'm going to contact for my gastronomic tour of <laughs> Israel. <laughs> so, Jana and Nama, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Linda. Thank you very much. Again, this has been A Taste of the Past, and I'm Linda Polancio. Please join us again for another Journey Through Culinary
1: History.
5: This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. This little nugget comes from Food Safety News, which is a blog that you can get every single day if you want to sign up for it. I love it. And in this one, it says, in what qualifies as ground-shifting news in the food safety world, the U.S. Department of Agriculture today, on Tuesday lopped 50 degrees off of its recommended temperature for safely cooking whole cuts of pork, aligning it with guidelines already in place for beef, veal, and lamb. Heating steak, roasts, and chops to an internal temperature of 145 degrees Fahrenheit so long as the meat sits briefly before it's eaten is enough to ensure its safety, the USDA said. This latest revision for pork comes again on the advice of the FSIS, which is the Food Safety Inspection Service, which says cooking cuts of pork to 145 degrees Fahrenheit with a three-minute rest is as safe as cooking them to 160 degrees the previously recommended temperature with no rest time. So um, now you can have a little bit of pink, juicy pork, even if you're buying commodity pork, which should vastly improve its taste and eating quality. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer.
1: The following is a public service announcement from Just Food. Help bring live chickens into food challenge communities through your donations to the Just Food City Chicken Project 2011. The City Chicken Project would not be possible without the volunteer hours, donations large and small, and the vibrant energy and ideas of the communities we work with. Just Food is a nonprofit organization that connects New York City communities and local and urban farmers with the resources and support they need to make fresh, locally grown food accessible to all. To donate, search on kickstarter.com for Just Food and find their City Chicken Project. For more information on Just Food, visit justfood.org or call 212 645 9880. That's 212 645 9880. Let's keep making New York City a better place to live and eat. Nicole Taylor is always the first to talk with new and exciting personalities in the food world on her show, Hot Grease. Check out a little clip.
5: Everything is super sweet in the Heritage
1: Radio Network studios today.
5: We're chatting with Fanny Gerson. Fanny is a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and the 2011 James Beard Foundation Cookbook Award nominee. Oh my God, <laughs> we fry in bed style. We have to talk <laughs> dough. Donuts. I'm gonna have to say, Fanny, I don't know if you know this. I was definitely the first person in Brooklyn to start talking about <laughs> dough. Did you know that? I, I knew that last time I saw you. Ah. Uh, but I didn't know that before. So we have to talk dough. I mean, it, it is it is a bona fide phenomenon in Brooklyn. Uh I'm so excited to be part of it. I and I can't believe it. <laughs> you know I mean I was just telling you before the show that uh I think about a month ago I went to dough on a Sunday at two o'clock and all the donuts. You like were
1: what gone. you hear? You can hear Hot Grease every Monday at 3.30 p.m. live on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast or check it out in our archives.